Good morning, my friends. We just finished a series called, does anyone remember what the name of the series was? It was 11 weeks, so. Literally, Literally thank you, pastor's wife, um, for paying attention. <laughs> we t- <laughs> That's a, a, hey, you know, um, true listening is a skill that is, uh, I think, sorely needed in our culture today, so. Um, we finished a series called Liturgy of the Ordinary, and what we're going to do over these next two weeks is we're going to lean in a bit further into this. Like, we talked a lot about our liturgy, how that connects to the liturgy of the service of our week, but what we're going to do is I'm going to uh, attempt over the next two weeks to explore what we're calling the contemplative life. You hear me use this word, you know, a couple times during our service, like, hey, let's take this moment to contemplate or to confess, right? We say that at, at, at certain points, but today what I want to do in next week is look at the contemplative life. We'll do this in a two-week, two-part uh, series. The contemplative life simply being a life that can see glimpses of divine hope in the ordinary. Yeah? We're in ordinary time. We're focusing a lot about on the ordinary. Let's pray and we'll uh, dig into this contemplative life that can see dim glimpses of divine hope in the ordinary. Creator God, Christ Jesus and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, as we contemplate the mysteries of your kingdom, as we contemplate the mysteries of the Christ, as we contemplate the Christ who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, the one whom in which we live and move and have our being. Would you help us to see you in the ordinary? Would you give us new eyes with which to see your divine sparks of hope in the world, for new eyes to see others in our lives, new ears with which to hear you and one another, new hearts that align more with the sacred heart of Christ, and new hands and new feet with which to take the liturgy, to walk out of this building and take this liturgy into the liturgy of the ordinary of our week. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. A great and mighty river flows throughout history towards the healing and restoration of all things. I'm going to say that again, okay? A great and mighty river flows throughout history toward the healing and restoration of all things. This is what liturgist Aaron Nyquist writes in his book, The Eternal Current. As in, our creator is carrying every corner of creation into a beautiful future, into a beautiful telos. Then Jesus came incarnate, right, referring to this river as the kingdom of God. A realm in which all the things that God wants to have happen, the way that the divine desires things to be, are in fact happening, as the prayer says, on earth as in heaven. An eternal current, if you will, a never-ending stream. So picture eternity as this long-flowing stream from all the way there that you can't even see all the way down to another space where you can't see. This eternal current through which we do live and move and have our being, to quote St. Paul. Now, we talk about this concept often here at, at, at Regen, that in the biblical languages, 
the word that, uh, that, the, that the poets and the different writers use for the, for the spirit of God, right? The spirit is also the same word, ruach in the Hebrew or pneuma in the New Testament. Those refer to with the spirit or the breath or the wind, right? Wind, breath, and spirit. Um, same word for all of those. Uh, thus the divine is as close as the air that we breathe. We, we, we reference this a lot here at, at Regen. That each and every breath that we take is a breath given to us, a gift to us in the set-apart sacred Holy Spirit of, of Christ. But the question becomes then, not is that breath there, not is that spirit there, but are we able to notice the presence of that spirit? Are we able to notice that that spirit is as close to the, as the air that we breathe? As a matter of fact, that we can notice that that spirit is literally living within our lungs. Are we able to exist within the Christ, within every breath we take, so that way we can jump from the shore into this river with both feet and swim? In my own spiritual journey, um, I've talked with many of you, you know, over the course of the years in coffee times or dinners or, or whatnot, but I began learning the contemplative life when I, cont- when I started to look into and dig into what, what's, what's known as the Ignatius path of spirituality. Uh, some may know the story of St. Ignatius from either, you know, history or, or reading or, or, or another, and I do believe I've talked about St. Ignatius on Ash Wednesday often because we do the practice of the exam in that service. But this is the story of Ignatius from Loyola. St. Ignatius lived in the late 1400s, right in the middle of the Renaissance in Spain. He came from a well-connected family. Uh, He was friends, or actually his family was friends with Ferdinand and Isabella, uh, as well as Columbus. Uh, He was in the inner circle of the who's who at the time. He was a, a man of great prestige and was earning the ranks up. He was an ambitious man. Uh, He was very vain, self-admitted vanity, uh, when you read his works. Uh, He was proud of his supposed good looks. This was like his biggest claim to fame. He thought he was, he was it. I actually have a picture of him, Stephen, on the slides. Ladies, you can decide. Um, um, You can leave that up there while we're talking. Um, (laughs) He was very proud of his supposed good looks. Um, he even once wrote that his, up until the age of 30, he excelled at only three things. You ready for these? Womanizing, gambling, and my favorite, dueling. Dueling. He was a fighter, he was a gambler, he was a womanizer. Uh, he came from a family of soldiers, a, a, a military background. He was the last of 14 kids in the family. And in their culture, in this Spanish culture in the 1400s, the military was the fast track to power, influence, and success. That was, that was how you climbed the ranks in, in the Spanish culture in the 1400s. Thus, Ignatius' ultimate dream was to succeed and climb in the ranks of the military. So fast forward a couple years. And the, 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 the Spanish are fighting in a battle against Fre- the French, and they're hopelessly outnumbered at the time. And a cannonball comes launching over to where St. Ignatius is and nearly, uh, you know, d- just takes his life completely. Um, instead, it just breaks both of his legs, and so the Spanish surrender, again, hopelessly outnumbered, and he's taken to a castle in Loyola, okay? 
and he just shuts down as he was within inches of losing his life. He had a massive uh, not existential crisis. Like, why am I here? What is the point of this? Why do I care about my good looks? Why am I caring about, uh, you know, uh, gambling? Why do I need to be the best of the best of the best? And so in, he had nine months of rehab in this castle, and he spent those nine months contemplating and examining and reflecting on his life. Emerging from those nine months, a completely changed man. He took the next two years then. So after these nine months, he took the next two years, and he went to live in a cave instead of back at his family's, you know, very rich, prestigious um, estate. And he said that everything he once thought was important to him, he flipped it 180 and reversed it. He did almost a social experiment for himself. Remember, I said he was very vain. He thought he was a very good-looking guy. So he made himself as ugly as possible. He didn't cut his hair, his beard, his fingernails, or bathe for two years. Two straight years. Walking in and out of the cave, into the community, and he was examining how he was relating to the people there, how people related to him, and the way that he presented himself. All the while reflecting on these experiences, learning in that process what he thought leads to true transformational growth in Christ and what doesn't. Um, thus, Ignatius' contribution to the global church is his insistence on reflecting upon experience, that it's not just enough to have the experience, but that it's imperative to deeply reflect on them, which is what we're going to look into next week. Next week, we'll look into what it actually means and how we can look back and reflect on uh, our experiences. But for this morning, I want you to consider the Lucan story of the two disciples on their way to Emmaus. We find these two disciples of Jesus leaving the, the holy city. We see them leaving the city of Jerusalem. Uh, one of them here is named Cleopas, and the other one most scholars would agree that it most likely was his wife, Mary, and they were going back home. So if you have a Bible with you and want to follow along, we're in Luke 24, verse 13, where we pick up um, on, this, on this story. Um, I'm going to be going through this in a, uh, in a paraphrase type of a way, so having that in front of you could be, um, you know, perhaps uh, helpful. We're going to be in Luke 24, verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13, where we begin and we read on that very day. Well, what does that mean? What does Luke mean when he says on that very day? On that very day is simply what we refer to as Easter Sunday. Um, remember, for us in our context, we talked a little bit about chronological snobbery this morning, that idea that um, we have the, the benefit of knowing the whole story while we're contemplating these stories together, whereas these disciples were living through this in, in real time. And so for us, Easter Sunday brings up you know, tulips and, 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 and sundresses and, and suits and ties and flop, more flowers and big music and celebrating Easter, right? It's a, we may think of Easter as a celebration, but on this first Easter Sunday, it was vastly different. Remember, some of the disciples were in the upper room still in fear for the Jews. These two were walking away. These two disciples were walking away from all they had known for the previous couple of years as long as they'd been following Jesus. My friends, these two disciples on that first Easter Sunday, their faith was in shambles. Their faith was a mess. 
Their faith was an absolute mess, and they were just done. You get the sense they were done with this Jesus thing. Like, it's done. They're not even at denial anymore, like we talked about this morning. They're at acceptance. They're just like, but I'm done. I want nothing to do with this anymore. And while they were walking, they were talking with one another about, Luke records, the things that had happened, right? What are the things that had happened? Jesus died, right? And, um, and, was, and was tortured. That their leader was now dead and gone. And right in the middle of their conversation, if you look, Jesus just shows up, completely uninvited, and says, hey, yo, what are you talking about? Like, I, like try that someday. You know, I think we've joked about this before. Try just walking up to someone on the sidewalk and just going, hey, what are you talking about? <laughs> I guess maybe only Jesus uh, should be doing that, but... But these disciples, Luke records, and this is so interesting, they were kept from recognizing Jesus. This is in verse 16, which may seem a bit weird to us um, since they'd been with Jesus for quite some time, but think about it. Think about this. Their worldview that had been presented to them over the previous week was completely just not even close to, leaving them no room to probably even consider that this possibly could be with that same guy that they were walking with. Possibly even Jesus looked different post-resurrection. I don't know, I wasn't there. But here's the thing, the last time they saw him, he was being tortured, died, and then they threw him in a big tomb that was guarded by soldiers. Steve, you can flip this slide now. We don't need that guy's face up there anymore. It must have been impossible that they, it could even be Jesus who was walking and talking to them. They had no capacity to notice. Think about this. At this moment, they had no capacity in their life to notice what Christ was doing right before their very eyes. And how often, too, are we so weary and tired? We spoke those in the beginning of our literature this morning. How often are we weary and burdened and busy that we're not able to notice what Christ might be doing right before our very eyes? Like, how often are we so wrapped up in our own heads that we're unable to notice that breath of the Spirit that is surrounding us in each and every moment, in every place, and in every time? Where can I go to flee from your presence, the psalmist writes. He says, nowhere. Because whether I make my bed in the grave or in the heavens, there you are. The presence of Christ is in all of this, yet, like these two disciples, it can be often hard for us to see, and that's why it takes intentionality. It takes practice. But back to our story. So we're in verse 18 here. So these disciples, not knowing it was Jesus they were talking to, ask him. This is is really comical if you think about it. They ask Jesus, are you the only one that doesn't know what's been happening to Jesus these past few days? And Jesus must be going, okay, come on, man. Like that football sketch. Come on, man. So they continue to tell Jesus all about Jesus and how Jesus was tortured and left dead and was buried. They told Jesus. Jesus gave them room to share with him that they had hoped for something better. They were done. They were done with this whole faith thing. Hoped that their leader would have fulfilled the promise and redeemed them and saved them from their oppressors. They say, this is why we're sad and depressed and leaving the city. Oh, strange man who's walking with us. 
But then Jesus explains to them how it had to happen that way. That all of the Old Testament scriptures that they held near and dear to their heart, all these prophecies that they were speaking of are actually about that same Jesus they were lamenting. And, and, And this time must have been special with Jesus. Think about road trips. Road trips are really fun. We went out and we did a road trip back when I was moving from seminary. There's special moments that happen in road trips, right? And these two disciples, Luke writes in verse 29, they urged him strongly to stay with them for the evening. He acted like he was going on, a little Jesus juke there. But it, he, they urged him strongly, please stay with us. It's too dangerous. You don't want to be walking this road by yourself. And so he does. And something beautiful happens at dinner. Verse 30. Jesus took the bread. He blessed it. He gave Eucharist. He broke the bread. This is right from the Gospel of Luke. And gave it to them. And suddenly, Luke writes, their eyes were opened. Now, this word in the Greek is more of a, their eyes were opened to reality. They were now perceiving the reality of the Christ. And so they said to one another in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road? Yes. Our hearts were burning. And here's the rub. Notice that they didn't realize that their hearts were burning on the road. They didn't notice that their hearts had been burning while they were making and preparing supper that night. But they noticed that their hearts were burning when they were able to reflect back. After they recognized Christ in that bread, then they reflected back and are like, wait a minute. That experience was amazing. We were walking with Christ himself. That when these disciples were brought back to the liturgy of Jesus breaking the bread, they were able to reflect back on what had taken place that day, and they recognized how special the conversation with Jesus really was. So what did these disciples do? In the Greek, metanoia, they repented. That word simply means to change your mind. And they turned direction. They changed their mind on what they thought reality was, so much so that they literally turn around. And in verse 33, it says, they got up at once and went back to Jerusalem. At night. It's dangerous at night to travel with no lights and no flashlights and no phones to, 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 to help. They got up at once and went back to Jerusalem. They went back down the same Emmaus road. That's the Emmaus road. That's the miracle road here, my friends. That, that, that journey back down the Emmaus road towards Jerusalem, away from the safety of home, towards that place of danger. The place that was once filling their hearts with fear is now causing their hearts to burn on fire. Leaving in the dark of night unafraid, looking towards the future with hope all because they had an encounter with the risen Christ, and they took the time to notice that encounter. That is the Ignatian path, my friends. That's the contemplative life, where we can take our gatherings that we've been talking about this whole summer from mere classroom, you know, filling our heads with knowledge, and to a gymnasium, from our head to our hearts, from mere ideas, words, and doctrines, but towards our hearts that can give us that peace that Paul speaks of that transcends all human understanding. That's why the contemplative life is all about practicing. 
It's about practicing our spirituality because think about it. If you want to get good at anything, including noticing the divine sparks of Christ in our every day, it takes practice. As sports teams, practice. If you want to learn an instrument or how to sing, practice. Right? If you want to learn how to write, practice. Read, practice. We even talked last week, we, we learned how to fall asleep. We have, we have routine and rhythm and practice. Grace alone may cause this eternal current of Christ's waters to flow, but it takes practice to be able to wade into those waters and to jump in. Grace alone may make the wind blow, the spirit move where it may, but spiritual practices can help us humbly open the window day by day, just moment by moment, because the invitation from Christ is participation. The invitation of Christ is participation, and so that's what these two weeks are about. It's about intentionally reflecting upon Scripture, intentionally reflecting upon our own lives and how those two intertwine with one another. And so I'm going to invite Stephen to come back up um, to play some of that Holy Ghost music. Um, what we're going to do to end today, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of, um, that's a lot of head. That, that's what that was today, a lot of the head. Um, next week, we're going to have some more head with heart, but today we're going to end with a practice that we do very often here. This is one, if you've been part of Regen, you'll, um, you'll definitely remember. Uh, we're going to do our four prayers prayer, the one where we pray for our neighbor, our family, our enemy, and our world. Um, this is a great practice that can begin to help us notice those divine sparks, because as we're praying for our neighbors or our families, our enemies even, we can start to see where we're where are we noticing Christ's fingerprints in these different relationships that we have and where we may need to, right, repent, change our mind and turn around and go back down that Emmaus Road towards the part of life that might be hard. I'll lead you through to simply make yourself comfortable. Uh, you can do this with your eyes open or your eyes closed. Um, broken record on this, but I find it best to be uh, feet on the floor putting devices away. Um, if you've got a, even a smartwatch that buzzes, maybe think about silencing that, that, that feature. Um, and simply notice your breath. You don't need to seek to control it, to simply notice that the ruach, the numa, the spirit, the breath, and the wind is coursing in and out of your lungs at this very moment. The moment that we just had is gone, and the moment that hasn't arrived isn't here yet, so what we have is this moment. Be still, the psalmist writes, and know that I am God. So take a moment to be in the moment, to be still with the holy. Inhale all that is good, all that is from God, and as you exhale, leave all the stress and the worry of what's coming this afternoon or this week. Let it kind of start to fall away. Continue to breathe as we pray, gracious God. We believe that we are in your presence and that you are loving us. Oh Christ, we believe that at this very moment, that with whatever is going on in our lives, you are in our presence and you are loving us. Without conviction, without condition, without restriction, without limit. And so we choose to allow your grace to open our minds and our emotions and our imaginations, and our entire 
being to your love, the one in whom we claim to have our being that we live in and we move in. So please speak, O oh Lord, your children are listening. Continue to breathe, continue to be present in the spirit. And let's begin by praying for our neighbors, for our literal neighbors, the ones who live in the house or the apartment or the dorm room to the left and to the right or across the street from you. Can you picture them? Can you picture their faces? What are their names? Maybe you don't know their names, so maybe it would be a good idea this week to find out what the names of your neighbors are. And with their faces and with their names in mind, let's pray this simple prayer. God, would you bless my neighbors? And you would you bless them wildly? And would you show me how I can be a part of joining that blessing? Let's pray this morning for our neighbors. Take about 30 seconds and simply pray for your neighbor. Let's continue. Is there someone in your family or, or perhaps a close friend that could really use prayer today? And with their face and their name in mind, can we pray this simple prayer? God, would you bless this person and bless them wildly? And would you show me how I can be a part of joining that blessing? Let's pray for our families this morning. We're going to continue by doing what Jesus said to do and pray for our enemies. The hardest of these four prayers is there someone in your life, if you're honest with, has become your enemy? And with their face and their name in mind, can we pray the prayer, God, would you bless my enemy and bless them wildly? And would you show me how I can be a part of joining that blessing? Let's pray for our enemies. Finally, let's pray for our world, for our broken and beautiful, 
messed up and glorious world. And let's pray that God's will would be done and God's kingdom would come in big ways and in small ways. And that he might show us what we can do with our hands and our feet and our lives to co-labor in bringing this kingdom and to bless this world. And now we pray together the words of Jesus himself, our Father, who art in the heavens. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts just as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.